I want to start off by saying, to make this story easier to understand, I'm going to use a lot of dialogue. Obviously, this wasn't recorded, so these aren't the exact same words of anyone involved in this experience. I'm just trying to tell it as best as possible, and I think it'll benefit me and you if I use a lot of quotes. Just keep in mind, most of it's not direct. That'll be a long one, so let's just get into it. I wrote this at 2am, and I have corona, so I apologize in advance. This happened in 2015 when I was 16, and I was still living in my hometown. I had forgotten a little beach town in the middle of nowhere. That's so remote it's probably not even known by surrounding areas. Basically, there's three things you can do there as a teenager. Go to the movies, swim, or, or go to this pathetic little place called Miller's Fun Park. It's relatively similar to a lot of fun park type things, only a whole lot worse. There's a crappy arcade with broken skee-ball machines, batting cages that probably haven't been used since the early 80s, a pathetic mini golf course, and the most dangerous go-karts you've probably ever seen in your life. Seriously. Miller's Fun Park is on the edge of a field. On the opposite side of the field, about three miles down, is a beach and across the single street are woods. If our town is in the middle of nowhere, Miller's is practically on the moon. Anyway, getting into the story. My cousin Emma and I decided one summer night that we wanted to go go-karting. It was around 10pm, so we knew it'd be almost deserted, and that was the way we liked it. I picked her up from her house and we made the long drive down. Once we had arrived and parked the nearly empty lot, we hopped out of the car and paid for some go-karting tickets. The same people worked there forever, I swear to God. There had been no one there except for a few boys in the arcade, and a guy who looked to be in his 60s sitting on a bench near the batting cages. Emma and I paid him no mind and went to go go-karting. Like I said, these carts were incredibly dangerous, so I was focused on nothing but making sure I wasn't going to skid and flip as we raced way too fast around the windy track. This is why I didn't notice a guy walking over to the fence, and why I didn't notice him watching us until we pulled into our lanes after our last lap. He was standing there on the other side of the fence, right where we parked. He stared at me in the most unsettling expression. A creepy smile played on his cracked lips as his dark eyes gleamed. I managed an uneasy smile back, and another ticket to the guy running the go-karts, who was obviously higher than a kite. And Emmett and I went off again. This time I couldn't focus. The Duke gave me the worst type of feeling. My eyes constantly finding their way to the metal fence where he stood, unmoving and watching us every time we were in his view. The thing that was bothering me the most was that we had only bought three tickets. We were on our second to last run when he was standing directly next to the exit gate. I was just praying that he'd move before we were done. But of course, no such luck. Our last go and came and went. I had no choice but to pull in next to him, unbuckle my seatbelt, and get out of my go-kart. I glanced over at Emma a few feet away as I opened the exit gate to see if she was scared as I was. But she didn't seem to notice as she bounced over and bragged about how she'd beat me the last two times. I was barely listening. I opened the gate and the guy stepped in front of me, just as I was leaving. Hey there, he said. 
His voice was dry and he smelled the cigarettes. What are you cute girls doing? All alone here. My eyes darted over to Emma, who was looking at the dude with both confusion and annoyance. Uh, what? She said, pushing past the gate so she stood beside me. It's so late. His tone was hungry as his eyes, and he reminded me of a snake. Do your parents know you're out? Yes, I answered quickly. They're waiting for us, actually. We need to get going. This was a lie. I probably sound like it from the tone, but I tried to push past him anyway. It didn't work. He grabbed my shoulder to keep me in front of him. Nonsense. I saw you girls pull up alone. My heart dropped to my stomach. He had. Are you heading out? Why don't I walk you to your car? He started cinching towards me, and I looked to Emma for help. With one swift movement, she pulled me halfway beside her and started sizing the guy up. This is pretty dumb, as we're both pretty small. And though she had a few inches taller than me, neither of us are anywhere near his size. This guy's clearly six foot two easy, but she didn't seem to care. Actually, we're just heading to the arcade, she said harshly. Her boyfriend is going to meet us here. I did have a boyfriend at this time, but he wasn't coming. He wasn't even in the town. And I knew that she knew this. The guy's face immediately changes. His smile disappeared. And he was now glaring down at me with a look of annoyance in his eyes. I felt myself start to cower. Boyfriend, he says roughly. Emma didn't give me time to say anything. She grabbed my arm and tugged me behind her into the arcade. The boys from before had already left and the usual girl who worked there was nowhere to be found. Still, I felt safer there than outside. We ran to the back and hid behind the claw machine. What the hell do we do? I, I left my phone in the car. I whisper shouted. There was no way I was going out there alone, and the pothead go-kart guy had already disappeared into the small ticket shack. I don't have mine either. I left it charging, she said, face-palming. We're just going to have to make a run for it. Are you crazy? He's probably waiting for us in the parking lot. What about the guy who runs the go-karts? We could get him to walk us out, she said. I just shook my head. He's high as Mount Everest right now. I don't want to risk running all the way to the ticket stand for nothing. Then we have no choice. She stood up, pulling me with her. Let's go. I swallowed hard, wanting to cry. I'd never been that scared before. There was something so wrong about that guy. We made our way out to the arcade, looking around to see if he is nearby. The park was now absolutely deserted. Emma practically had to drag me to the exit. I was looking every direction every second, waiting for the guy to come out of the woods or something, and pounce on us at any second. But he didn't. Everything was still. Get your keys out, Emma instructed and I pulled them from my pocket. We're about 20 feet from my car when I stopped dead in my tracks. What? She whispered. I stared at the car, keys in hand. I had never locked it. I never locked the car, Emma. What? I didn't lock it. W what if? I trailed off, but she knew what I was saying. She started inching towards the car, and I grabbed her arm to stop her, but she pulled away. 
I'm just going to peek. If I say run, you run. Her voice was quiet. I nodded shakily. She even made it close enough to see inside, but by the way she was squinting, I knew if it was too dark to make out anything. My heart was beating out of my chest. What if he's in there? What if he jumps out and... Or what if we jump in and he asphyxiates me like in the movies? All these thoughts almost ran out the unmistakable sound of shoes slamming against the pavement. My head whipped around instantly, and there he was, sprinting at us full speed out of the woods. I screamed bloody murder and broke for the car, jiggling the handle as I realized I had locked it. Emma was already on the other side, screaming for me to unlock it. I fumbled with the keys but managed not to drop them as I unlocked the door. I flung it open and practically threw myself inside. I just managed to close the door when he was there, slamming his fist against the window and shouting coherently. I was sobbing at this point and barely managed to lock the doors as he goes for the handle, and yanks it as hard as he can. Emma was screaming at me to go, and though my tears, I shoved the key through the ignition and flew it in reverse. He was still chasing us as I veered backwards out of the lot and turned as fast as I could while slamming on the gas. I was driving like I was still in the go-kart, but I didn't care. I could barely see the road through the flood of tears and Emma had to grab the wheel several times to keep us from crashing before I regained some composure. Though obviously shaken up, she'd managed to keep her tears in and be the sane one out of the two of us as we drove for at least 30 miles over the speed limit the whole way back to my house. We didn't tell either of our parents about this, and looking back, I wish we had, because there was something seriously wrong with that guy, but we were too scared of what they might say or do. I think we thought that they'd blame us somehow, so it stayed a secret between us, something even we didn't talk about until months after the horrifying encounter. Safe to say, we never went back to Miller's Fun Park after that. I urge you all to be extremely careful when going out at night, and to the lunatic who tried to do God knows what to my cousin and I, let's never meet again. As I explained in the first story, the following events took place during a gap year I've taken after high school. 2012 to 2013, to do voluntary work in a small village in France. I've suffered a lot from loneliness and separation from my peer group in that village because everyone living there was at least 25 years older than me at the time. I was 18 years old, so I often took my boss's car to go to the nearest bigger town, which counted 60,000 residents, and was 40 kilometers away. As I knew nobody in that town, I got to know who strayed the streets of that town without any destination, just as I did. A group of people took me to an apartment where lived Jules. Oh, Jules. He was so sweet, and he was also so lost. His eyes were blue as the sky in spring with pieces of the warm French sun in them. I saw him with his gentle smile by the window, a cigarette in the corner of his mouth, the other guys greeted him and entered his apartment by climbing through the window. Who are you? He asked with his soft, dark voice. I explained that I just came to town and had to leave by night to go back to the village where I worked. He asked me to join them for a casual party 
I found out that he hadn't been outside with the others because he had to wear an electronic ankle bracelet from the police. Basically, he was in prison at home, he explained. Not that he did something very bad, he assured. Just multiple little thefts when he had no money left. And okay, one marital damage on a car. For me, I made excuses for all assumed having done wrong, because I was naive and young, and somehow having an instant crush on him. Hours passed talking to each other, and little by little the group of people who had brought me to him dropped off. In the end, there was just one guy, Jules and me. Then Jules asked me, Can I ask you to do me a favor? With little hearts in my eyes, I nodded, Of course. He smiled. Oh, his smile. I would like to do some coke, he said. No problem, I answered. Yes, well, there is one little problem. I can't go out and get it from my dealer, so I thought maybe you can go out there for me. It's just down the street. You really don't have to if you don't feel comfortable with it. But it could be fun. Despite the fact that I don't do cocaine, I said, No, yes, well, uh, okay. Give me the address. I will go and get it for you. Five minutes later, I stood in front of a spooky building. A large and buff guy stood between me and the door. His eyes told me that I should back off, but I had this mission for my gentle jewels. I cleared my throat and said with a high-pitched voice, I'm looking for D. Jules sent me. He looked me up and down and without saying a word opened the door. I took the stairs, hearing him follow me, and arrived in front of another door. I knocked. Another guy with a real hustler face opened the door and let me in. After me, he closed the door with a key. I came in and see the most stereotypical dealer's apartment situation. Two guys stood by the window monitoring the street and a fat black man was sitting on the couch by his side a very skinny pale woman probably marked by cocaine addiction her face looked like a skull i swear d smiled but not in a gentle way as jules more in a malicious way sit down he said with his voice marked with a mass cigarette and weed consumption fear started to crawl up from my stomach to my head this is not a safe situation at all. A voice in my head alerted me. It was the last floor of four levels. The door was locked and there was only one other woman from whom I clearly couldn't expect any help in case of danger. And there were firearms, which in Europe really isn't common at all. Okay, I have to fake self-assurance and fake having control over the situation. I thought to myself trying to look nonchalant on my chair. Jules sent me, I explained. He said, you know how much, and that he already paid. I smiled, but in fact a horrible thought came through. What if this payment is me? I thought. D laughed and nodded. Yeah. He reached under the couch and got a box and opened it. Another weapon in a white powder. He started weighing and it took so long. I got more and more nervous. I rolled a cigarette and smoked it to calm me down, and to look nonchalant. Here, try some, he said, putting a large line in front of me. Oh no, I said, I'm not taking cocaine. 
Thank you. Very amiable. I refused. Come on, it's not that much. You've done it before, am I right? He insisted. No, never. I've tried a line of speed once. That's why I assumed that the line in front of me was way too big. But I didn't like it. I don't need white powder. It causes me too much stress, but really, thank you. A discussion of, come on, no thanks, followed. I was too afraid of that powder, of him, and of the situation. But I somehow managed to stay cool and polite, or at least found the right words to decline without him feeling insulted. But even after that, he wouldn't let me go. Even when he packed what Jules had wanted. I swear I stayed there for an hour or something. But in the end, he gave me permission to leave. He even gave me his number. In case you made up your mind after taking some with Jules, he said. I just took his number. One of the guys finally opened the door and I sprinted down the stairs. When I arrived in the street, I was so lucky to still be alive and unharmed. Jules, you bastard. Who would put a girl in that kind of unsafe situation, I thought. But I couldn't be mad at him when I saw his gentle smile when I climbed through his window. Later on, I found out that he didn't take cocaine for fun, but was for serving his addiction. He even did shots, not as observed from friends through the nose. Well, an another story, indicating that I was naive at 18. That you should not trust an addict. Jules clearly didn't care about my safety after all, and that having a crush obnubulates your mind. But after all, it's D who I wouldn't want to meet again. I don't know how you handle it in the States, that every gangster and idiot can wear a gun. It really frightened me. I was just followed about five minutes ago, so sorry if this seems a bit scrambled. I was walking my dog getting the one exercise thing down, and got catcalled. I'm 13, and this has never happened to me, by the way. I'm literally covered from head to toe. I have black pants tucked into my boots, a black t-shirt, and a black leather jacket. So I turned and saw no one. I always have to look behind me a lot when I'm walking because my dog stops and sniffs everything. So I methodically turn and look behind me and see this really tall guy. I can't stress this enough. Really tall. I'm 5'3", five 5'6", five with boots on, and he's at least 6'8", maybe taller. My head would have been to his stomach. I thought he was following me immediately, but decided not to panic and check if he really was. I was on call with my boyfriend and I let him know, but kept on walking three roads later. I was almost positive that I was being followed, so I decided one more test and I turned around this Y-shaped path with grass in the middle and went left where this park was in the middle. And the Y, he went right and kept on going, and then started to cross the gate, so I hung up my boyfriend and called my mom. Side note, the second road is a turn off to a field which I usually go, but I decided that it would be best if I didn't go to a wooded field area, which also has a dead end. This dude was large. I can throw a good punch, but I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have no impact. So back to the why. I turned around completely and practically dragged my dog. 
A lady turned the corner and saw me crying on the phone to my mom, and he got spooked and left. I carried on walking and my mom was waiting for me at the end of the street, ready to go mama bear. Again, I'm so sorry if this is scrambled. I think people like that are using the fact that teenagers are vulnerable. People would be going mad indoors and want to get out, but be especially alone given the fact that we're all on lockdown. So please be careful. Description of the tall guy, wearing a mustard coat and blue jeans and a sweater vest. He was Asian. Black hair looked on the bald side, but 40. But not old, if you know what I mean. With gold rimmed glasses, kind of wiry looking. I'm going to go answer my boyfriend before he has a panic attack because I'm getting spammed. Stay safe. Let's start off with some backstory. My parents had sure custody of me until my dad went to start working away, so I moved in with my mom. She lived about two hours away from where I lived with my dad, in a pretty shitty suburb. Plenty of junkies and alkies. I was 12 to 13 at the time, maybe younger. The man will be Craig. Craig was my neighbor. My house was at the end of the road, then an empty house, then Craig's house. Craig's house was about the same size of ours, but he had about 10 people living there. They were all aboriginals, so it's not unusual to have so many people living in a small house. It was about 8.30pm and one of my small dogs had gotten out of the house and ran down the road. So me, being the good mom I am, went out to look for him. I called for him a few times until I started to panic. Craig sat out on his lawn drinking with plenty of empty bottles besides him. I was on my lawn when he stood up, and stood in the center of his vacant house's lawn that separated us. Craig waved to me and telling me to come closer, so I did. I walked closer. He told me that he had seen a small dog in his backyard, and if I didn't hurry up and get it, he was gonna fucking kill the mongrel and hang it all over my house. I was in shock, so I walked closer. Then one of the women I lived with came running out and told me to get away from the man. I snapped out of it and basically ran inside my house. What happened was our dog had basically done a lap of the neighborhood and came right up to the next house of ours. He dug under the fence and into the backyard. One of the other women I lived with had heard him barking and she asked the others if she was still looking for him. That's when the young lady called for me. To the old man who told me he was going to kill my dog, I hope you fucking die. Hey guys, long time lurker here. First time posting. I totally forgot about this encounter I had, which was about two years ago. Sorry about the formatting, I'm on my phone. I was 20 at the time and single and ready to mingle. I was studying at school about 20 minutes away from my house. And of course, I was on Tinder. Now, I've dated some older men. I'm attracted to them. So my settings on Tinder was Mel. Was always ages 25 to 40. I swiped right on the guy who looked decent enough. And he was 36. We match and he begins to message me. We go through our day or two of messaging. I explain that I'm really just looking for a fuck buddy. And he had his own apartment. About two minute walk away from my school. Perfect. 
We add each other on Snapchat and Instagram. Once he takes a look at all my pictures, his way of messaging becomes strange. He starts to message me stuff on Snapchat like, You're so beautiful. I want to hold you in my arms. You're like an angel. Now, mind you, we have never met. Once he starts messaging me like this, I realize he's not my type, especially in a friends with benefits situation. I don't need someone like that. I start to leave him on red and ignore his messages. The next weekend, I was going to a wedding. I was dressed up and, of course, I posted a few pictures on my story, which he immediately started commenting on, like, Oh my god, you're beautiful. I miss your touch. I want to feel you in my arms. I ignore him, have a good time at the wedding, and right before the wedding started, I popped an edible. By the time I got home, it was midnight, and I was very, very high, and very, very sleepy. I'd worked earlier that day and had a nap in between. I get into bed and start to go through my phone. I live with my family and everyone is asleep. I start getting messages from this guy again, and I'm so high and tired that I start reading them giving brief responses, saying, "Oh, thanks. Then he messaged me saying, I think I'm gonna come to blank tonight. Blank space is the city where I live, 30 minutes away from his apartment. I respond saying, LOL, that's weird. Don't do that, obviously thinking that he is joking. Then he says, I want to breathe the same air as you. I want to feel you. I want to breathe with you. I begin to freak out, and then he starts messaging me be there soon babe I'm like super scared now because I live with my family and I didn't want anything weird happening then all of a sudden I remember that my snap map location is on I go into my map and I see the little bitmoji in her cute outfit sitting at my house I quickly turn myself onto ghost mode then I see his little bitmoji and it's getting closer and closer to my city I somehow convince myself that he's joking He's probably on his way to another city near mine, but he's getting closer and closer. It's 1.30 a.m. in the morning now. For the first time in years, I begin to pray. Ten minutes later, I check my snap map again. Now, even if you are in ghost mode, you can see if you're sharing locations with someone, although the other person can't. When I looked at the map, I was sharing locations with him. He was right outside my house. I looked out my window, and there was a car with the lights on. At this point, I'm so freaked out, my heart is inside my throat. My anxiety is through the roof, and I'm still high. I end up passing out and then falling asleep. I wake up in the morning, scared, and I check my phone. He'd sent a few messages saying, You have a beautiful street, baby. A beautiful home. Have a good night, babe. I go to my mom's room to ensure that nothing had happened, and she was fine. I later went to work, and... After work, I went to the police station and spoke with them. They said they couldn't do anything unless he tried to come over again, and that's when I would call the police. I went home for a few days and got no messages, and then at 5 a.m. on the following Tuesday, I got a message. Even though I drove all the way to your home to breathe the same air as you, you have still not messaged me, and I'm not as desperate as I seem. If you ever want this dick up into the balls, let me know. Since then, I've heard him call once or twice, but I eventually blocked him. I didn't block him from the start because he knew where my house was. I was so scared that if he couldn't get a hold of me, he would show up. 
So, creepy asshole who showed up to my house in the middle of the night. Let's not meet. Earlier this evening, I was walking home from work after a 10 hour shift. I always took the same path through the woods, but this night, this night was different. Halfway I approached a tiny capsule along the pathway. It, it had an eerie vibe to it. I grabbed a stick and poked it a few times. Nothing. I decided to pick it up, but right before I did, it made a high-pitched sound. Then, it exploded and knocked my ass out. I awoke about two hours later with a massive headache and a burning sensation on my face. Oh, what the hell? I got up, but had to sit back down very quickly. My head was spinning. Like if I went on a drinking binge the night before. After a few minutes, I decided to walk towards the house again. But on the way, the burning on my face was getting worse. I wanted to scratch it so bad. When I arrived at the house, I looked in the mirror. The left half of my face was dark red, like a fresh scab. Something is eating my face. What's going on with me? And the pain in my head feels like something's trying to get out. 30 minutes ago, I started to hear bubbling as it got worse. I ran to the mirror to check it out. I could tell my flesh is being eaten and my forehead is getting swollen. I tried a wet towel to cool it down, but as soon as it touched my face, it started to disintegrate. Like if it was dipped in acid. My head hurts more than before right now. And the swelling this won't go down. I don't know what to do. Can someone help me? <laughs> what the f was that thing? What the f? Hey guys, I want to thank you so much for listening. If you haven't yet, please consider clicking that subscribe button and bell icon to get notified of all future videos. I try to post around 5 times a week. And if you have a store of your own you'd like to be featured on the channel, head over to my subreddit, r slash Jensen Official. And if you want to get early access to my videos, head over to my Patreon, where only $1 a month you can get that. And I also have some other fun perks. I've also got merch now over on Spreadshirt. I as well offer all of my videos on my podcast that can be found on all major podcast services. All links will be located in the description field. Hope everyone's having a good night, and remember, keep it spooky. I'm not really sure if I like that catchphrase yet, but for now we'll keep it. Alright, bye guys.